Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you guys. If you're uh, watching us online, those of you at True Worth, good morning to you guys as well. It is great to see your faces this morning. And as I look around, I know there's quite a few of you that I haven't had a chance to meet yet. So if we haven't met, uh, come stick around after the service. I'd love to visit with you. Uh, my name is Chris. I serve on staff here as director of music and worship. And for all of you, even if, you, even if we have met before, I want to give you just a a little bit of insight into, into me. I am what's known as a fountain of useless thought. <laughs> it's a true story. If, 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 if there's a tidbit of information or some sort of fact that in no way can benefit me, chances are I'm going to remember it. So I want to give you just a couple of quick little useless facts. Here's, here's useless fact number one. Strawberries, they're not really a berry, but a banana is. I didn't know that either, huh? Yeah. How about this? This, this? I think this is really fascinating. Do you remember being taught as a kid in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, that whenever he did that, there was this real fear that he was going to sail off the edge of the earth because everybody thought the earth was flat. Do you remember being taught that? Not true. It's not true at all. Like nobody in 1492 thought the earth was flat. Everybody knew it was a lie that people had come up with in the Enlightenment to try to vilify the church and make them seem unenlightened. The truth is, in I think it was fourth century BC, Aristotle was the one to show that the earth was round. And not only that, he estimated the circumference of the earth. And we found out later that he was four meters off. Like that's how accurate he was. So 1492, nobody thought the earth was flat. So anyhow, this is my favorite fact, though. Uh, many of you probably don't know this. This church, our denomination, we are Cumberland Presbyterians. Now, one of the fun facts about our denomination is that we were the first ever zombies. <laughs> this is a true story, relatively speaking. Um, <laughs> Zombies first appeared in the movie Night of the Living Dead. And that first scene where the zombies come out of the ground, they're coming out of a church cemetery. That church just so happened to be a Cumberland Presbyterian church. Therefore, <laughs> that's a fun fact, isn't it? But how about you? I want to ask you the same question. What is it that you want to know? I've got that question written down in your sermon notes, and I, I just I want you to wrestle with that question. I want you to think about it. Some of you might be able to answer it right away, but some of you are going to need a qualifier. Some of you are going to say, well, what do I want to know about what? And I'm talking, I'm talking just very fundamentally, very elemental, what do I want to know? I would argue that every one of us, and I mean every one of us, we are consumed with learning one way or another. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about formal education. What we do every day is driven by what we want to know. The things that we read, the questions that we ask, the people that we follow, the shows that we watch, the gossip that we engage in. What is it that you want to know? Where does... What does your mind go when you let your mind just sort of wander? What are you curious about? See, we're all obsessed with knowledge, one way or another. Think about, think about how you feel when somebody knows a secret that you don't know. 
Or how about this? Think about how you feel when you see a group of people talking, and when you walk up, they mysteriously stop talking. How do you feel? You want to know what they were talking about, right? Why is that, though? Why are we consumed with knowledge? I think the reason why, and I see this play out every day, is this concept right here. Take a look at this image. That's it right there. That's why we are obsessed with knowledge. This is a picture of the TCU library. I see this three times a week whenever I go to campus. Now, for those of you that, that don't speak Latin, TCU has that same phrase spelled out in uh, on just multiple languages on different steps inside the library. Take a look. There it is in all these other languages. Now, for those of you that don't speak Chinese or Swahili or Russian or whatever else you see there, they do you one better, and they spell it out for you in English in a big LED wall. Take a look. That's why. That's why we are obsessed with knowledge, because knowledge is power. What we do day to day, how we get through life, what we're able to accomplish is completely limited by what we know. <clears throat> so this is our current worldview. In your sermon notes, I want you to write this down. Our current worldview sees knowledge as power. So when we hear that we're going to be in the book of Proverbs and we hear that it's a book about wisdom, about knowledge, we get excited. Why? Because knowledge is power. So let's unpack that phrase a little bit. I, I find it problematic. And so what I, what I want us to do is I want us to deconstruct that phrase for just a little bit. Knowledge is power. Why is that a desirable thing? Because any form of power helps you control your environment, can help you manipulate your existence, your world. This is why at, a, at an institution like TCU and at the front of a building that's designed to inspire students to read and to learn, you find that phrase, knowledge is power. I mean, essentially what they're saying is, hey, you want to learn how to manipulate your world, how to control your environment? Come in here and read so that you can. Now, if you think I'm being cynical... This form of communication goes even further. You walk in, not 30 yards away from that phrase, you're going to find another curious symbol. Take a look. That's the bust of Caesar Augustus, the pinnacle of power, of control, of physical strength. At the front of the building, they have this mantra that knowledge is power. And then not 30 yards away, they have a symbol of exactly what they're talking about. Now, on a side note, if you're curious, come see me afterwards, because people are always asking me to define irony for, for them. There's something very ironic about that statue. And if you're curious enough, come find me afterwards, and I'll explain why. But for now, I want us to open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. You see, when, when we take that mindset of knowledge as power, and we bring that with us when we go to the text... We miss the point entirely of what Proverbs is all about, about what the wisdom of God is all about. I want to pick up there at the very beginning of chapter 2. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, 
making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Father God, before any of us ever spoke, before any of us had a beating heart, Father, you were there. Father, all that is known in this world, all of the wisdom, all of it has its origin in you because you are the author of all that is. You are the author of all wisdom. So Father, before we speak, before we listen to anybody else, we pause and we reflect and we remember that we are in your presence, the author of all that is. And we listen for your voice. So Father, speak to us this morning. Show us who you are and who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now in your Bibles, I want you to underline verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You see, Proverbs looks at knowledge in different terms than the way we tend to. So what I want us to do today is I want us to push back from the, con the concept of knowledge as power. And I want us to learn from the book of Proverbs, learn something different about knowledge. In your sermon notes, number two, a kingdom of God worldview sees knowledge as transformation. I think we've got a lot to learn about this knowledge of God. But as this proverb spells out for us, the knowledge follows the transformation. And it's not a knowledge of control, of manipulation, of power. It's a knowledge of God. So again, I ask you, what is it that you want to know? In your Bibles, I want you to flip over to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to pick up there or chapter 6, right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. At the, at the end of chapter 6, verse 33. I'll take a moment. I'll let you guys get there. We're going to have this on the screen as well, but I want you to, I want you to actually put eyes on it in, in your Bible. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm having you turn to this because if you haven't done this already, I want to invite you Underline this verse, memorize this verse, consume this verse, make this verse deep inside of you and live it out. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't say seek second or seek third or seek when life slows down or when I go on vacation or when I get ahead at work or when things are easy. It says seek first unequivocally. Now, in your, uh, in your sermon notes, we're gonna, I want to unpack just a couple of things about what this sort of knowledge entails. There, that first uh, blank for you, number three, knowledge is transformation, letter A, desires God. So I've been asking you numerous times today, what is it that you want to know? What are you, what are you curious about? The follow-up question is this, why? Why? 
why do you want to know the things that you want to know? For a time, we would say, you know, if you, if you want to see what you truly value, take a look at your bank account. I've got another metric for you. If you want to know what you truly value, look at your daily planner. Or for some of you, if you, if you got the most recent update on your iPhone, it's got this wonderful little tool. You go to settings, and you can click on screen time, and it will tell you how much time you've been on your phone. And not only that, it'll tell you where you've been on your phone. Might I suggest for some of us that that would reveal what we truly desire, what we really want to know about? So some of you know I'm, I'm in seminary. I'm in hopefully my last year of seminary. And I was up there a couple of weeks ago visiting with a friend of mine who's a student as well. And we were going through this challenge, so to speak. And we're both trying to navigate through this, this, this challenge, this experience. But we were handling it in very different terms. My friend was all anxious and worried about it. And so I asked him, I said, hey, look, you and I, we're going through the same situation. Why are we handling it so differently? And he says, I know, I know, I just, I get worried about it sometimes. And so I asked him, I said, okay, so tell me. How was your time this morning in the Word? What did you read today in the Word that might help you out with this situation? And I asked him, I said, tell me about your prayer life. What was your prayer this morning? What did you hear from God? Did God reveal anything to you at all this morning that might help you with this situation? And he says, look, I know I need to be in the Word every day. I know I need to be praying every day. I know, I know, I know. And I say, do you, do you really? Do, do you really know? Because if you did, you'd be doing it. And this is a conversation I feel like I've had more times than I can count with various people. And so just so you know, if you ever come to me and you're needing help with a, a certain situation or an experience that, that you don't know how to handle, I'm probably going to ask you those questions too. I want to ask you, hey, tell me, what are you reading today in the Word? What's your prayer life like? What are, your, what are your disciplines like? And if you tell me that you just haven't had time, that it's just a busy time in your life, and there's just, there hasn't been the time, then I'm going to ask you, OK, well, then tell me, what does is, what is your screen time say on your phone right now? How many times have you been on, on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram? Tell me about your fantasy football team. Tell me about the shows that you're binge watching on Netflix. Look, these new disciplines, they're not an easy thing to develop. But the, the stress of life, it's not going to go away. But if we do this, don't you think it's going to change how we respond? I want to give you something very easy, something very practical to do. And that's this. If your primary Bible is on your phone, I want to invite you go and get a hard copy of the Bible. Like the, the Bible app, and this is a wonderful tool to have. It's very convenient to have. But if you're trying to develop new disciplines, and your primary tool for doing that is this, this device, this thing that has all the distractions on it that keep you from reading in the first place, I'm going to tell you, it's probably not going to work out. Get a hard copy of the Bible. You put it on your nightstand. 
And when you wake up in the morning, before you check your phone, before you check an app, before you do anything, before you respond, before you speak to anybody out in the world, seek first God. Seek God before the craziness hits. You find a quiet place. You sit down. You got your Bible and you open it up. And then you pray and you say, God, show me who you are today. God, reveal yourself to me today. Reveal something to me today. And then you read and you listen. And you hold on to that moment for the rest of the day. We read in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says to pray continuously. And we read that and we say, well, how on earth is that possible? You know, I've got a job, I've got a family, I've got things I've got to do. I can't sit around all day and pray. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look, seek God first. Before anything else, you seek God and you grab a hold of something. You take a verse, you take a phrase, you take a revelation, you take something from that morning experience and you hold on to it the rest of the day, and you continue to go back to that throughout the day. You continue to reflect on whatever that revelation was, whatever that verse was, however God spoke to you that morning, you hold on to it and you keep it with you all day long. Don't you think that might change the conversation? Seek God first. Seek God before life happens. Seek God before chaos happens. Like, I want to I'm going to give you a proverb. This doesn't come from the book of Proverbs. This comes from the wisdom literature of Chris Bohan, which I'll tell you is a very short book. It's a very quick read. But here's the proverb. Wise is the person who doesn't wait for chaos to come knocking before seeking God. And as we do this, as we seek God every day, we, we begin to develop this desire for God in such a way that we desire hearing from God more than we desire that first cup of coffee. I want to take a look here. I want to go back to Proverbs chapter 2, and I want to go to verse 7. It says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago about holding on to a verse in your morning time, but grabbing a verse that speaks to you for whatever reason, you keep it with you the rest of the day. This verse, I've been stuck on it for about three months now. I don't know why. I'm still working through it, but I find myself coming back to this verse day after day. And while I'm still working through it, there are a few things that I'm beginning to understand. And one of them is this. The author is telling us something very important about the knowledge of God, something that, that's inseparable from the knowledge of God. In your sermon notes, knowledge as transformation, letter B, is upright or pure. If we are serious about seeking the wisdom and knowledge of God, we have to take a close look at ourselves, at our lives, and do a daily inventory of how we're doing in this thing called life compared to what, what God is calling us towards. Like in uh, verse 1, he says, treasure up my commandments with you. In the next chapter in Proverbs 3, there's a very well-known verse that says, 
In all your ways, acknowledge him. Another way you could say that is in all that you do, keep him in mind. The reality is God is, at every moment, God is imparting knowledge onto us every moment of every day. But that knowledge is always going to be contextual with the lives that we're living. So if I'm living like hell, the wisdom, the knowledge that I'm going to receive from God is going to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, knock it off. Stop doing what you're doing. Like That's going to be the wisdom that I hear. The knowledge of God is inseparable from right living. You don't need to go there. I'm going to flip there. I'm going to have this on the screen here in a moment. I'm going to go to Jeremiah 22. And here we, we read a, a prophecy, a warning from Jeremiah to, to King Shalom. And this is about the life that he's living and how he's treating the people around him. He says, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and makes his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you were a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? I want you to pay attention to that last verse that I, that I just read, verse 16. He's saying, look, you're... Your father, Josiah, he was a good king. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? Is, is this not what I'm about? So we've talked a little bit this series about how conventional wisdom diverges from the wisdom of God. And when we encounter this, this arena is no different. You know, in, in 21st century America, conventional wisdom says to be successful in life is to be shrewd and knowledgeable in the corporate arena. And when possible, look for ways or loopholes or some of these corporate life hacks to get around the system. Some of you may remember in, in 2000, the company based out of Houston, Enron, and their CEO, Jeff Skilling, he was a pretty shrewd business guy. Or in 2008, Bernie Madoff. He was pretty knowledgeable in business. Now, if you remember those names, it's because you watched as they got caught red-handed in the midst of their schemes. I'd like to tell you that everyone that's involved in this sort of white-collar crime finds a similar fate. But the reality is people get away with it all the time. But that's not really the point. You see, the woes that we read about in Jeremiah, they deal with something much deeper than personal financial gains and losses. It's a woe where God says, look, while you're consumed with this stuff, while you're consumed with this material wealth, you're missing out on a knowledge that will completely transform your world. And he says, you think you're a king because of your stuff? You think that's what makes you a king? You think that's what I value? One of my, one of my favorite stories of Jesus is where he's approached by the religious leaders 
I meant to have a coin and I don't. Does anybody have a coin? It's remarkable. Nobody has coins anymore. <laughs> ah, we have a coin. So he, he asked the religious leaders, they say, you know, do we, do we pay taxes to Caesar? And they don't really care. They don't care what Jesus thinks. They just, they want to trap him. If he says yes, then in a sense, he's participating in paying homage to Caesar. If he says no, then he poses a threat to the empire and could be arrested. Now, in typical Jesus fashion, he, he doesn't get nervous. He doesn't get riled up. He calm, collective. He takes the coin and he asks and he says, okay, whose image is on this coin? And they say Caesar. And he says, okay, well, then give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what's God's. Now, I want to invite you, when you read stories like that, I want to invite you, employ your sense of imagination, your sense of creativity when you read stories like that, and find the emotion that's in the text and bring it out so that these stories can really come alive. What he's doing is he's, he's saying, look, this coin, this piece of metal, this has no intrinsic value whatsoever. The only reason why this has any worth whatsoever is because all of you say it does. And you're taking this coin, you're taking this piece of metal, you're taking the image of Caesar, and you're using it to push around the image of God. Now, if you really knew my Father in heaven, you wouldn't be asking me this question. If you really knew my Father in heaven, you wouldn't value this piece of metal as much as you do. And what in our context would be referred to as the ultimate mic drop, Jesus takes the coin, he throws it down, and he walks away. What does God value? In Jeremiah 22, we read justice and righteousness. He says, is not this to know me? He says not to just follow his commandments, but to treasure them up. And what is, it, what is it that God commands of us? In Micah 6, 8, he says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. See, this is, this is what it means to have the knowledge of God. You see, as you, as you begin to desire God, and God begins to reveal himself to you, and you begin to have the knowledge of God. Success is no longer measured in dollars and cents. Success is measured by making a difference in people's lives. That's the sort of stuff God values. You see, the knowledge of the gospel, it creates such a radical transformation of the mind, of the heart. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Proverbs 2, it says, incline your heart to understanding. Now, I want to point out, you, you need to be mindful of the fact that when, whenever you read heart in the Hebrew text, you know, we, we think about heart as the emotion and the mind as the intellect. But for the Hebrew people, they didn't understand that dichotomy. They understood the heart to represent the emotions and the intellect. It represented every aspect of what it meant to be alive. So this past week, my wife and I, we just, we just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary and our 10th year together. I want to show you a picture of those 
two different days. So on the left was the day that we got married. And on the right was just this past week of celebrating. Now, I do want to point out, eight years of marriage, and my hair is just as thick now as it was then. <laughs> yes, I'm bald. But I want you to look at those two pictures, because they represent two very different things. You see, on the left, whenever I first met my wife, I was, I was blown away by her beauty. Now, of course, I still am. That's never going away. But I was intrigued by her. I was curious about her. I wanted to know all I could about her. I wanted to know her favorite song, her favorite color, her favorite restaurant, all of these sort of facts about her. That's what I wanted to know. Eight years of marriage, I don't have that desire anymore. Rather, I've got a deep, deep desire to know her. I hope you understand the difference. This is exactly the sort of knowledge that we encounter when we read in Proverbs. That word, the Hebrew word is yada, and it indicates the sense of intimacy, the sense of closeness. It reveals the desire. It's not this sort of distant observational knowledge where from a distance you can see this reality, and you recognize what it is, and you say, OK, there's that, and then you go on about your day. No, it's, it's a sort of knowledge that you see, you become aware of, and you find yourself drawing deeper and deeper into it. And then you act on that reality. That's the sort of knowledge that we encounter when we go to the text. So I'm finishing up my 10th year now, 10 years of postgraduate studies in theology. And you want to know what the biggest change has been over these 10 years? I, I went to college with this quest. I had this quest to know all about God that I could. I went to, went to grad school with these Greek concepts of who God is, and then these Hebrew concepts of who God is, and then working to try to reconcile both of those together and all these philosophical understandings of who God is. 10 years later, you know what my desire is? My desire is not to know about God. My desire is to know God in a personal, real, transforming way. That's what I want to know. Now, if you want to engage in the, in the conversations and the, the philosophies of God, I'm happy to go there with you. I still enjoy them. But my desire is to know God. When we seek God first, when we seek God every day, God begins to transform us, change our lives. And then as we do that, as we develop that understanding, we treasure up his commandments, something else very, very powerful happens. In your sermon notes, knowledge as transformation, letter C, is grateful. Now, let me be clear. I'm not simply talking about thanking someone for bringing you a cup of coffee or buying you dinner. It's not just thanking God when things are going well. I think too often we live in that religious rhythm of praising God when things are well, and leaning on God when things are tough. What do we say if, if uh, we get a report back from the doctor that we want to hear? What do we say? God is good. But I wonder, do we have the strength 
to get a report that we don't want to hear and say, this sucks, but God is good. This is what real gratitude looks like. Gratitude looks like the recognition that before any of us had anything, before any of us had a beating heart, before there was any possibility of repayment, God gave freely of himself to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only that, God gave in such a way that God knows and we know we can never pay back. Gratitude is a recognition that we cannot outgive God. And gratitude is the strength to go through some of the darkest moments this life can bring. And there are some really dark moments. It's the strength to go through the, the darkness of having to bury a parent or bury a best friend or have to bury a spouse or the horror of having to bury a child. Gratitude is the strength to go through those experiences and look that darkness square in the eyes and say, guess what? I'm still here. Guess what? I'm still standing. Yeah, this moment sucks. This could be the darkest moment of my life. I may never fully wash myself from the pain of this moment. It may be with me for the rest of my life, but I'm going to take my pain. I'm going to take my grief. I'm going to take these scars, and I'm grabbing a hold of the promise that I read in Romans 8 that says, neither death nor life nor nothing in this world can separate me from the love of God found in Jesus Christ. I'm taking that promise. I'm taking this broken body, this broken spirit, and I'm turning to the heavens, and I'm praising my God in the heavens, and I'm doing it every day. You want to know about powerful knowledge? Let's talk about the power of gratitude. I've got three quick action steps for you. And the first is this. If you don't already, please go out, get a Bible. And I prefer, honestly, the smaller, the better, because the smaller it is, the more likely you are to carry it with you. And you carry it around like you would your phone. And whenever you have those random times during the day where you're waiting on somebody or you're waiting in line, and that's when you would normally Grab the phone. If you got this, grab it. Begin your day here. And the second thing is this. Be in prayer continuously. Take something from that time with God in the morning, and you keep it with you. You memorize it. You write it down. You do whatever. And you continue to reflect on that verse throughout the rest of the day. And the last thing is this. Keep a journal. Keep a journal of gratitude. I've been doing this for a while, and I've actually I've started doing this recently with my kids. Uh, I would, I've been, for a while now, I've, I've finished my day with them. We, we go through our highs and our lows for the day, the cherry and the pit. And what I've started doing recently is I've got a journal in each one of their rooms. And when I sit down with them, and they tell me about the best part of their day, or the part that they're most thankful for. And then they tell me about the, their challenge for the day. I write it down for them. And then I write down mine as well. And when you do that, over time, 
what you're going to have is evidence of the grace of God working in your life. It's something that you can go back to and say, man, I remember that moment. I remember how much that sucked. But man, God got me through it, or God is still getting me through it. After the service, go out to the ministry spotlight area. They're about to start off uh, a number of classes all about learning more about the Bible. And I think they're actually going to even have a class all about journaling. So if that's something you're interested in, please go check it out. I want to finish with some knowledge about me. My name's Chris. I'm, uh, I'm pretty lazy. I am. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not very ambitious. I'm not motivated to do much. I, I don't really do much. I'm not very bright. I'm a pretty dim-witted guy. I'm not very eloquent. I'm not intelligent at all. I just, about the only thing I can do is play a guitar. That's about it. Um, I'm not a memorable guy. If you met me, chances are a few minutes later, you probably forgot that you ever met me. And if any of you knew me 20 years ago, you might agree with what I just said. You might say, yeah, that sounds about right. Now, church, I can't explain it, but the beauty is I don't have to explain it. All I can tell you is my experience. And my experience is this. When I seek God daily, when I seek the wisdom, when I seek the knowledge of God, I hear a voice that says, look, that's how you see yourself. But you're listening to the wrong voice. Listen to what I say. Spend time with me. Let me reveal to you who I've created you to be. And every day that I do that, God continues to reveal more and more of himself to me and begins to show me a little more of who he's calling me to be. And every day he, he keeps reminding me, look, I'm not done with you yet. The best is yet to come. And when we all do this, when we seek God first and we listen to that voice before we listen to any other voice, we begin to have the image of how God created us and the life that God is calling us towards. I wonder how that might change the narrative. If we daily consume the word of God, if we consume it like it's our daily bread, then the, the words of hate, the words of division, these horrible words that we continue to hear out in the world, we no longer participate in it. But instead, when we open our mouths, the word of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the love of God, these things then come out of our mouths. Last week, Rick, Rick mentioned, he said, I hope you know that God loves you. And I do too. I hope you know. I hope you know that God loves each and every one of you. I also hope you know that every day, God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you to seek him so that God can show you who he created you to be. I hope you know that. But it doesn't really matter what I hope you know. What matters is you. What do you want to know? In the name of the Father, 
and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to the knowledge of God. Amen.